Hey, you're listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. In this week's sermon, Pastor Matt Dean preaches from John chapter 10 in our final week of our sermon series, Jesus, the Glory of Grace and Truth. Good morning. We are in week 10 of a series called Jesus, the Glory of Grace and Truth. And to be honest with you, it has been a joy to walk through these first 10 chapters of John's gospel as we look at not only what Jesus said, but what Jesus has done, the way he interacts with people, and just as a way of summarizing so that we can all be on the same page this morning and land today, it, it very much begins in John 1 of, in the beginning, the Word was God and the Word was with God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I wanted to just read to you, over you, part of John chapter 1 as we think about our passage today. Um, let me just read this to you as we, as we consider in John 10, uh, Jesus is the Good Shepherd. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, he was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but people born of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And as John describes who Jesus is, I want you to hear again this morning, he is full of grace and truth. As we walk through these stories in the first 10 chapters of John, he calls his disciples. He performs a miracle at a wedding in Cana. He turns water into wine. He cleanses out the temple where people were exchanging goods and fares. He has interaction with a man that was a leading council Pharisee member named Nicodemus and introduces the idea of what it means to be born again, what it means to be born again. Then John chapter 3, we get to this idea, for God so loved the world that what he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. We see that Jesus interacts with a Samaritan woman, and we also see the power of a testimony of someone who's experienced Jesus, it says, because many people believed based on the testimony of this Samaritan woman. We see Jesus extending mercy and healing when he heals a Roman official's son. And even before the Roman official gets back to his home, his son was in fact living and healed of an illness. We see the miraculous story of Jesus feeding 5,000 plus women and children. And we see the simple idea of something placed in the hands of Jesus can be multiplied to feed a multitude. We also see in that very same story the very real fear that even followers of Jesus experience when anxiety and fear in the moment takes over their lives, and we see Jesus speak directly to that. We hear Jesus say that he is, in fact, the bread of life, that he is the living water, and that those who come to him will never hunger, will never thirst. We saw the wonderful story of the woman caught in an act of sin, and in that very moment of being caught in a public, shameful scenario, Jesus leads the way in mercy and in wisdom when he says to the onlookers and those that were ready to hurt and kill this woman, yet he who is without sin, feel free to throw the first stone. 
we made the remark that it was the older ones that left first because a life walked on journey with Jesus decade after decade after decade further reveals the sinfulness of man and the sufficiency of our God and Savior. And we see in the backlight of this great festival of lights that Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. And last week, last week we were reminded that it is the truth that sets us free. And as Jesus makes these claims that he is in fact the unrivaled, unequal, unmatched son of God, there is only one, the political scene around that day begins to get more and more heated and the plot to kill Jesus becomes more and more pronounced. And we pick up this morning in John chapter 10. And I've been meditating on this passage for some time now. And uh, you may not feel like you have a whole lot in common with sheep, but in fact, you do. And so do I. And so this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 10, and we're going to begin just with these first six verses. Jesus, again, is making these claims, and he is now beginning to turn the story of his teaching in a way where people are further trying to recognize who is this man, Jesus. And he begins with a story, and then he further elaborates that same story in greater detail. But we'll start with the first part of the story. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, you have to understand in this setting, this idea of the door, it could also be a gate, right? This could be a sheepfold. And Jesus is saying, if you come in from another way other than the door, you're a thief and a robber because the right way to go in is through the door. And he's trying to introduce this idea. He says, but he who enters by the door, by the gate, is the shepherd of the sheep. And he's helping them see this story. There's one way to enter. There is a gate. There is a door. And if you come in from another way, you're a thief and a robber. But if you come in this way, it's in fact that you're the shepherd because you know the right way to go in. He says, to him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, let's just pause for a moment because this is really fun to think about. Sheep in the Palestine area, they were known for their wool more than they were known for their meat, okay? And the, the life relationship between a shepherd and its sheep was not just for breeding season. It was not, this was a long-term relationship that a shepherd would have with sheep. In Britain, sheep are, are bred for meat, for human consumption, but more so in this region, the sheep were bred for wool, and sheep were bred in this long-term, and a shepherd was born into the position, okay? So a shepherd was born into the role of protector and keeper. It's not necessarily something you would just want to sign up for because the role is full of risk, long days, long nights. And when I'm reading this research about shepherds in this day, they're described as haggard, tired, worn by weather, that their eyes are constantly looking for dangers, they protect these sheep. These shepherds were born into a long-term role of protection. And it says, the sheep hear this shepherd's voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Verse 4, Jesus says, when he has brought all out of his own, when he has brought them all out, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them 
but they did not understand what he was saying to them. God, give us ears to hear today what you want us to hear. Jesus begins to introduce this idea of a shepherd and his sheep and that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd and the people listening at the moment, they did not fully understand this idea, but the idea of sheep and God being a shepherd, this is not a new uh, passage or a new idea in all of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 95. If not, it'll be on the screen. But this is what it says in Psalm 95. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock of sheep under his care. There's another passage of scripture in Isaiah chapter 40. It'll be on the screens as well, too. Isaiah 40, 11, This is what it says. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm. He will carry them close to his heart and gently lead those that are with young. Let me read that to you one more time. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them near his heart and gently lead those that are with young. That is a picture of God. That is an attribute of the good shepherd, Jesus. And so as we think about this idea of him saying, I am the good shepherd, I want you to know that this concept of God tending to people like a flock under his care, it is woven throughout the full counsel of God's word. Verse 7 of John 10, he says this, So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly I'm saying to you, I am the door of the sheep. Verse 8, All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I want to speak to that for a few moments as we look at these words of Jesus and think about uh, what he specifically says. He says clearly, I am the door. There's only one way in, and it's, it's through me. Now, our culture and society and a whole lot of voices say there's a lot of, lot of doors, a lot of gates, a lot of ways. But this is not what Jesus says. It is not a mountaintop that you can access by many trails. There is one door. There is one gate. There is one name. There is one shepherd. His name, Jesus. His is the name that we call on. And I want you as a Christ follower to have the courage to humbly and yet clearly say, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. People want you to say otherwise. The world wants you to say otherwise. Jesus does not say otherwise. He says, I'm the door. I'm the way in. He also says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, you have to understand in the setting that he was talking about finding pasture, these were not necessarily open grasslands with wheat and barley and oats flopping in the wind. These were rocky plateaus that had to be navigated by a shepherd so that sheep could find food. And the idea that he says, if you come in by me, 
and find pasture. He is saying that there's going to be help needed along the way. A guide will be needed along the way. Someone to lead you along the way. He is the one to lead you along the way. It says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And I just want to acknowledge this morning in a way that is balanced, in a way that is clear, in a way that honors the word of God, that there is a realm that belongs to darkness that we don't fully understand. And there is a real enemy and a legion of people that work for him whose mission in life is to steal, kill, and destroy all those who belong to God. And there are extremes on every side. There are people that say, no, there's no such thing as spiritual oppression. There's no such thing as spiritual opposition. And then there's the other extreme that everywhere they look, everything they see, everything is subject to demonic possession, demonic strategy. And here's what you need to hear today. He doesn't move an inch without the authority of God. His days are numbered, the enemy of God. Jesus conquered clearly and forever the enemy of God. Sin and death will be no more. And in this life, we do struggle. I do struggle. You do struggle. We experience heartache and hardship. And anyone that says they don't has just not lived long enough. And so when we see Jesus saying, the enemy comes, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, it makes sense because I know many of you have suffered and experienced great heartache, as have I. And this is what I want you to come back around to. Jesus came that you would have life and life abundantly. I want to qualify uh, have it abundantly because life is found in Jesus. And there again are extremes in everything, right? There are people that says, oh, well, he, he wants you to have abundance. And if you don't have abundance, you must not have him or your faith must not be enough. And if you don't have more than you must not really have God. But Jesus experienced great hardship on earth. And if you look at church history, if you look at the life of the early church, many faithful followers of Jesus experienced hardship and suffering and yet remained faithful. Abundance is not quantity. It is quality. And we will have abundant life in Christ regardless of our possessions and experience on earth. Abundance is not qualified by pleasantness, right? Abundance is qualified by relationship with God and seeing his providence and provision in our lives. And there are other people that say, no, no, he does not want to bless you. He does not, and that's not what I'm saying either. We are beloved children of God. And somewhere in the middle is God's heart for his people to have abundant life that doesn't touch the extremes. Does that make sense? And in our society, in our culture that loves to just redefine the Bible, I just think it's so important to look at the full counsel of God's word and see that we are blessed, protected, and safe in Jesus, but that the abundance is primarily in who he is and what he has done and how is the good shepherd he navigates us through great suffering and difficulty. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I want you to, um, you can just read on the screens that's behind me here. Matthew 18, um, Jesus says this, see that you do not despise these little ones, 
For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I think it's really, really important that when we see new people come to faith in Christ who do not have their lives together, that we believe the best and we echo the chorus of heaven, there is rejoicing. And there is a great humility that comes with salvation. There's a great understanding of the mercy and grace of God when we understand the mercy and grace of God. And as we understand the mercy and grace of God, mercy and grace should come from our lives. Not, clear, not a lack of clarity, not ambiguity, but there's a way to be resolved with the truth of God and express that in the kindness and mercy of God. And when it says that he rejoices over the one because the 99 are still there, you may have friends who are that one somewhere off wandering on the mountainside. And I want you to hear today, he cares about the one. He cares about the 99, but he cares about the one. And what happens when the one goes off? He goes and pursues him. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Look at the next line. It's very interesting. He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. In the Greek, the word for good, when he is saying, I am the good shepherd, the Greek word is kalos or kalos. And there's two different types of words for good in the original language. One is just like good, like, oh, that pizza was good. The other good, and this is not the good that he's talking about, Jesus is speaking a different word, good, and that word means there's inherent beauty and strength and power in the goodness that he's talking about. And so when he says, I am the good shepherd, it's not just like good but could be great. No, this good word that he is using, there's an inherent strength and power and beauty in the word that he is using for good. And so when he says, I am the good shepherd, it's not ordinary good. It's a powerful, unique good that qualifies him in a very special way. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Do you know people that are fully invested? You ever thought about that? Think about your first job, right? You probably didn't own the company, right? You probably didn't care about the outcome of that company, and you probably didn't even care about the manager, right? You're just like, my first job, I got paid $3.33 an hour. So that means I'm old, but that doesn't mean I'm that old. But my first job, I could have cared less really about the company's well-being. I was a hired hand at $3.33 an hour. And 40 hours a week, I was the hired hand to literally, with my hands, pull weeds out of the ground. That was my full-time job when I was 15 years old. Weed puller. Landscape engineer extraordinaire. I was not invested, Right? Jesus is talking about the difference between fully invested and not. And he is fully, 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 
fully on the cross invested in you. He's not a hired hand. He genuinely cares for your well-being. He is invested personally, sacrificially into you, and he draws a real clear line between a hired hand and someone who would lay down his life for sheep. You need to know that shepherds are required to lay down their lives for the sheep, and you can spot a hired hand really far away. But the shepherd who lays down his sheep, he lays his life for his sheep, that's someone that's invested. Sometimes people jokingly say that pastors work an hour a week. You know, they're like, what do you, do you just preach on a 40-minute sermon and then you're good? And that's true. That's all I do. No, that's, that's not true. And I, and I was meeting with a young guy um, earlier this week as he's wrestling through a call to ministry. And I said, you know, meeting with people is great. Studying God's word is great. Proclaiming God's word is great. But then there's just there's just some things that kind of go along with it that no one knows. And as a church planter, right, I'm fully invested. I'm all in. I don't know how to be more all in in this moment, right? I'm, I'm all in. And the first thing I did on Monday morning was not pray, not study the Bible. Now, I got a broom and a dustbin. I think that's what that's called. And I was sweeping up tape and trash from the student ministry on the night before and I was worshiping Jesus. Why? Because I'm all in. I'm all in in this thing. I'm not a hired hand. I'm, I'm all in. This, this is what I get to do. And you may feel the same way with your profession, with your business, or that may be your long-term goal, to be all in and what it is. But let me just say, there's no one more all in than Jesus. He is all in for you. He's invested everything into you. And here's what that means. You, therefore, can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. He is not a hired hand. He is the sent son of God who sacrificially and beautifully became your sin and mine so that we could be right with God. He says in verse 15, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. Many of you know this. If you don't know this, I would love for you to know this. But this psalm powerfully reminds us of our good shepherd. And I just want to walk you through it as you think about him being the good shepherd. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is often read at funerals. It's often read at a celebration of life. It's often read for people when they're going through difficult things. And I've been reading this story or this book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Some of you may know this book is written by Philip Keller. I don't think he's related to Tim Keller, but maybe they're cousins. I don't know. But it's a fascinating look into livestock and the Word of God and how a shepherd would see and perceive the well-being of an animal. And it just helps me think along these lines because this guy, not real familiar with livestock, not real familiar with raising animals. And so I want to walk through Psalm 23, and I just want you to think about this. Let me read it to you first, and then we'll walk through. But in light of Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd, let me just read it to you a different way. Jesus is my shepherd. 
Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus leads me beside still waters. Jesus restores my soul. Jesus leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for Jesus is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Jesus prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of Jesus forever. I just want to pull pull out a couple things for you that will encourage you. Jesus is the good shepherd, and because of that, we shall not want. That goes back to in him we were to have abundant life. In him, he's the bread of life. He's the living water. He says that over and over again, but Verse 2, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Here's something really interesting you think about in your own life. Sheep do not lay down when they are afraid, have friction in their world, are bothered by pests, or are hungry. Now think about you, sheep. Sheep. We don't lay down when we are fearful, experiencing conflict, are bothered in life, or are hungry. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There's a funny story, but it's true that a small animal can startle a flock of sheep. And if one sheep gets startled, that one will start running. And then immediately a whole bunch of the flock will start running too. And they're all running. And then someone says, why are we running? And someone says, I don't know. That happens in our world. We are struck by fear, and then we bring people into our fear, and all of a sudden we're running down the road of fear, and we look around and we go, why are we running? We're afraid. What are we afraid of? I don't know. And if you're experiencing fear in your life, it's just quite possible if you could press pause and go, why am I running? I'm loved and known by the God of the universe who laid down his life that I may be in right relationship with him forever. What am I running from? And is it possible to see God's care for me in this moment? We are funny creatures. How many of you have experienced relationship discord this week? Don't raise your hand because they may be next to you, (laughs) right? How many of us have struggled in a relationship this week? It's hard to lay down and be at peace when there's friction in our lives and sheep are the same way. How many of you have been pestered? Here's the thing about sheep and insects. They can burrow into the nostrils of the sheep and destroy their lives. That's what happens with these pests and things. How many of you are experiencing bothersome things in life and it's really tough to lay it down? It's tough to lay down and experience rest. And when we see Psalm 23 in light of John chapter 10, we go, I'm a sheep, you're a sheep, he's a good shepherd, what's wrong with me? I'm just a sheep. It, it makes us see clearly. He leads me beside still waters. Another translation says, he leads me beside good waters. Here's the thing, sometimes sheep will drink any water. Hello. Sometimes we'll drink whatever is there. And he says, let me lead you to good waters. 
Sheep are known, I'm thirsty, you're thirsty, we're all thirsty, here's some brackish, disgusting water, let's drink that. And the shepherd's role is to go, no, no, don't in fact drink that, there's good water right here. What does Jesus say? I am the living water, and he who drinks from me will never thirst. He restores my soul, Psalm 23, 3, when a sheep falls on its back. It cannot get up. And there are moments when a shepherd needs to pick us up and put us back on our feet. And there are moments in community, in relationship with one another, where we land on our back and cannot get up. And if that's you this morning and you're on your back, just know that sheep, if not set back up, can often die from being stuck on their back. And he says, I will restore your soul. If you've ever walked through something really, really difficult that you don't ever really want to talk about, I just want to speak God's word over you today. He can and will restore your soul. If you walk away with nothing else today, the good shepherd can restore your soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. One of the greatest ways a shepherd keeps his sheep safe is by keeping them on the move, keeping them in migration, keeping them in motion. What happens when sheep stand still? They become lethargic and complacent. And what happens when a sheep gains too much weight? It falls on its back and cannot get up. The greatest protection for you of the shepherd is to keep you moving. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I read a story of one shepherd who said this. He said, I was crossing the water and my sheep would not follow me. I was crossing the stream and here I was and they would not come with me. So I picked up a baby and I walked across the stream. And when the mother saw me, carrying her baby across the stream. The whole flock followed. Sometimes in life, when we see another broken person being carried in the arms of a Savior, we too can more readily follow because we see his care and compassion. That is a model for Christian community, that we would carry one another's burdens and that people would fall in line and follow suit. That's an attribute of gospel-centered community. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff, they were used to bring the sheep back if they were wandering. They were also used just to put daily contact on the sheep so that the sheep would know the shepherd is there. Who is that in your life? It's the Holy Spirit, and you can read about that. And John, you can read about that. And Romans, you can read about that in Ephesians, but it is present in your life. He is present in your life to lead and guide you into all truth and understanding and to convict you of your sin and righteousness so that you can walk with him. And for sheep, they needed to know the shepherd was there. And here's a fascinating thing. In Ezekiel chapter 20, it talks about that this rod would be lowered so that the sheep, when they go back into the fold at night, the shepherd would examine to see if they were injured or hurt from the day. It's the check-in point of a shepherd with his sheep. It's good to be known by the good shepherd. He 
He checked in to see. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I go back to the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy is real, but let me just say, the enemy is silenced in the name of Jesus. And you have authority in the name of Jesus. And you may have real enemies, but all of them are ultimately subject to Jesus. So in the name of Jesus, walk in freedom. In the name of Jesus, walk it out. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. A shepherd in a very real way would literally pour oil over the head of sheep. Why? Because it would prevent the bugs from going in. It would also prevent them when they would butt heads against one another. It protects them. And to be anointed with oil is protection. His cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the good news of the gospel. God's mercy and goodness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will, I will and you will, by faith, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I just want to end tonight with this picture that happened last night. My One of my daughters, Violet, could not have enough tickle time with me last night. And she just kept coming back for more, for more, for more, for more. And I would say, well, don't raise your arm. And she would go. And you know how this plays out. She, Don't raise your arm. And I would tickle her over. And, but there was a moment where she was exhausted from our play together. And then I brought her in as close as I could get. And the Lord, as I was thinking about you this morning, thinking about Psalm 23, thinking about the Good Shepherd, his grasp on me. It's closer than a brother, like a friend, like truly like no other. He's got you. He can bring you in. And even with enemies all around, even fear within and oppression without, there are people that jump the gate into your life. There are enemies inside the camp and outside the camp, but you are safe in the shepherd's arms. He will draw you close. And a good friend of mine texted me this week and he said, I'm really trying in my life to pursue God. And he's reading a book called The Pursuit of God. And he is very much endeavoring to pursue God, which is a wonderful endeavor, which is an honorable thing. And I simply wrote him back, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. He is the good shepherd, draw near to him, and he has given his all that he can draw near to you. Can I pray for you this morning? We're so glad you listened to the Grace Auburn Church podcast. There's so much happening in the life of our church, and we could not be more excited about all that God is doing. For more information about ways that you can connect within the life of our church, go to our website, www.graceauburn.church. Thank you.